Hey everybody, today's episode of Shoppernomics is brought to you by the Neuromarketing Science and Business Association, the only association for those with a professional interest in neuromarketing. Visit www.nmsba.com for events and membership details. And Decision Breakers, experts in behavior-based shopper strategy, insights, and activation. Email pmcgee at decisionbreakers.com to see how they can help you win your war in-store. Welcome to Shoppernomics, the podcast for marketing and insight professionals who want to stay current on the latest understanding of consumer behavior and decision-making. My name is Phil McGee, and my guest today is Dr. Russell Zwanka, professor of food marketing at Western Michigan University and author of 20 books ranging in topics from category management, food nutrition, merchandising, marketing, advertising, procurement, customer engagement, and related topics. He holds a doctorate in international business from ISM in Paris, France, a Master of Science in Management from Southern Wesleyan University, and a Bachelor of Science in Psychology from the University of South Carolina. I asked Dr. Zwanka to join us to talk about a paper he recently published titled COVID-19 Generation, a Conceptual Framework of the Consumer Behavioral Shifts to be Caused by the COVID-19 Pandemic a topic of obvious great interest to this audience. I'm eager to climb into this, so we'll get started by welcoming Dr. Zwanka to Shoppernomics. Thanks, Bill. You're quite welcome. So, um, so I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, according to your bio, you had a career in the food industry before you started teaching. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your food industry experience and how you went from there to here? Oh sure, I uh, and and thank you, thank you for having me on today. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. The uh, I started in the food industry. In fact, I've been in the food industry much longer than I have been teaching food marketing. Uh, I have done everything in, in the stores from, from bagging to being an executive vice president of merchandising. Uh, worked in the southeast U.S. at Ahold uh, with Bilo, which was the, the first sure. the first Ahold chain uh, in, in the U.S., uh, also worked in in Dallas for Fleming, which uh, mm. a lot of people don't even know who Fleming is oh, anymore. Oh yeah, I'm very well acquainted uh, with Fleming. Uh, but I ran merchandising for all three thousand stores um, across the country, and also uh, worked in Canada, where we had uh, one of the more fascinating operations at the Northwest Company, where I was the EVP of merchandising for a uh, an operation that had a triangle that went 11 time zones. So we had stores in the uh, South Pacific, the Caribbean, uh, and above the Arctic Circle. Uh, and, and every format, we had, uh, we had junior mass, we had club stores, traditional stores, the, the works. And, uh, and then before entering academia, I was with uh, Price Chopper in the Northeast. That's, that's amazing experience. And, uh, and and so, how would you go from there to academia? <laughs> it was pretty easy. Um, <laughs> no, it wasn't easy. Uh, and, and honestly, I, I received my doctorate because I thought being called Doctor Z would be cool. That was actually <laughs> the only thing that I that was the only intent. I got my doctorate while I was uh, in the food industry. Okay. Uh, the opportunity came up to. Uh, try teaching and it was an intro marketing class 
and I absolutely loved it. And, and I, I think there's an aspect there. I have I have three kids, two in college, one graduate from high school, and uh, kids keep you young. And so when you can influence the next generation, especially if there's an opportunity to influence the next generation into being interested in the food industry. Uh, I, I think that is a fascinating aspect of our job, which is what we do at Western Michigan University. We have a great food and, and CPG marketing program. Uh, I'm also the chair of the Food Industry University Coalition, which is part of the NGA, which is the National Grocery mm-hmm. Association. So we have uh, roughly 18 universities across the uh, country. Uh, and as large as the food industry is, it's surprising uh, how few universities actually teach food marketing. And so we're a great group. We're a good, close group. And, uh, and we all have the same, uh, the same cause that we are, you know, the flag that we're bearing is that we'd like the next generation to find this food marketing and this food industry uh, as, as interesting as we have. Yeah, Real, that, what a what a, an unbelievable and, and inspiring story, by the way. Um, I've I've worked in retail, and I know what an EVP of merchandising's life is like. I don't know how you were able to raise children and get your PhD and being successful in that role. That that is really extraordinary. Well, thank you. I didn't sleep much, but I do now. <laughs> uh, you do now, and as a matter of fact, that's um, based on <laughs> yeah. a, a fun fact that. Um, that I wasn't expecting uh, before doing this interview, but but in our pre-call, uh, this just came up, that you are an expert in CBD. Um, and, and, and this, I guess, became that as, as part of your food marketing research. Um, and you've actually authored books on this, and, and you say actually that uh, CBD um, helps promote sleep. Uh, but, but, you know, briefly tell us a little bit about that. How, how did you get into, you know, CBD? Obviously it was, you said it was part of your research, but, but now it's really become, um, you know, a, uh, a big part of what you do and, and you're a recognized expert on the topic. Well, yeah. And, and thank you for that. I, under the umbrella of, of food marketing, I, uh, and if you want to go back to being the EVP, I, I was a, a, a major proponent or advocate of environmental scanning. Yeah. And and if I could have a merchandising department that was in tune with environmental scanning, you could be on top of trends before they happened. Yeah. Uh, and so we used to say, uh, you know, acknowledge your inner consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you we stopped buying CDs long before the <laughs> CD makers realized it. And so right. our inner consumer was saying streaming music is better. It's more has a better utility for us. And so. Uh, I was at a conference in in London where um, uh, we there was a presentation on the legalization of THC in Canada, and that was the the like the first I'd heard that that cannabidiol could potentially be a uh, a trend setting. Um, uh, basically, uh, you know, every CPG is looking at CBD right now. If you if you want to use all those uh, all those letters. Um, <laughs> And so we started uh, analyzing it and researching it. So yes, I, I became an advocate after I started researching it and started trying it. And I think uh, that people who are looking for a lifestyle change focused around health and wellness in a natural way of uh, controlling inflammation, finding a way for a better night's sleep, 
those kind of things that I think every one of us is dealing with uh, should try CBD. And you did mention it uh, in, in our pre-call. It is expensive. You have to have yeah. the means to it. And, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's unfortunate that our, our medical industry is so far behind because they were regulated away from researching THC and CBD yeah. uh, that they need to catch up. Uh, but you can, you can find a pain pill for three months supply for 90 cents. Uh, but the natural solution is $35 for a, a tincture. And so, yes, it, it <laughs> many, many more people will switch. I believe if it could be covered by insurance, but I am an advocate of CBD. I think cannabidiol and all the other assorted cannabinoids inside the cannabis plant, uh, they work in, they work closely with your body's homeostasis, and um, I'm a I'm a big believer in it. So yes, uh, the books cover that, um, and maybe that could be another podcast for us. Well, yeah, and I think that would probably get more hits than any other topic that I've covered. But but it, you know it is coincidental because you know just yesterday I, I am a podcast junkie myself, and. Um, and, and I was frustrated yesterday. I was on a long drive and it seems like, you know, every podcast I listen to is now like kind of exposing its political agenda and it was just yes. annoying and frustrating me. And, and so I went to something where I didn't, you know, expect that to be. And that was, I listened to a lot of health and wellness um, podcasts and, and one was on the topic of CBD. And I thought, oh, well, this would be great because, you know, I want to understand this, you know, from a scientific standpoint, but the, 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 subject expert there worked for a CBD manufacturer. And I thought, all right, well, I'm, I'm not going to get, you know, yeah. objective anything from this. So I, I just stopped listening to it. Um, but, but, you know, what's really great about you is that you're not in, you're not sponsored by anyone. You're not, you're not paid, uh, you know, subsidized by any brands. Um, you don't represent anybody other than, you know, what you're finding in the, in the science. And uh, I think that's that's awesome. So there, there's definitely a place for you. The other um, interesting fun fact about you um, that maybe you could just briefly mention is I mentioned you've you've authored 20 books and now you're working on your 21st book. And I understand there's been some drama with uh, what you can uh, title this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the thought about this and and you know another another topic that's a major research stream of mine, uh, or at least an interest level of mine is health and wellness. And, uh, and, and I believe that there's a, we as, as humans, uh, you know, whether or not you want to, you know, get into the depths of, of a homeostasis and the endocannabinoid system, uh, that we all have, uh, we can influence our lives through positive thinking, through what we eat and, and the works. And so I've, I back in, March, I released a book on healthy eating, or at least healthily navigating your way through the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And it's called Food Forethought. A little play on words, forethought, uh, and then yeah. forethought, F-O-R-E, thought. Right. right. And um, so as, the, uh, as, as we were all living through a pandemic and quarantine and, and relatively, almost arbitrarily uh, – arbitrary rules that were coming out by governors um, that, as you said, they kind of seem to go down 
party lines. Right. Um, the I was like, well, let's turn this into a, a you know a lemon and into lemonade, and let, let's let's find a way to come out of this with a healthy, positive uh, lifestyle and and a positive way of thinking. So I did call it COVID positivity, and mm-hmm. the, the the publisher said that they are not publishing anything that has COVID in the name. And so I, it, it will be called pandemic positivity because, uh, well, people have been calling things pandemics for hundreds of years. So, <laughs> right. um, so that will be out soon. Uh, right. but it is really a, it's, it's a lifestyle change in regards to how we think about things. And so it takes you a little bit through what everybody was feeling. Yeah. The, which is, you know, also came through in their shopping behaviors, you know, shock, and then once you got over the shock, uh, the new normal, mm-hmm. whatever that is, and right. then uh, what is what are we going to do going forward? And it's a positive way of looking. And, and once in a while, we need to we need some positive news. It'd be it'd be nice sure. if everybody focused on positive. A Absolutely. More. Absolutely. Um, certainly now for sure. Um, yes. Well, I, I am. Um, glad that you titled your paper, or you included COVID in the title of your paper. Um, you know, because and that, yes. obviously that's what caught my attention. I'm, I'm going to give the name of the paper once more, just to refresh everybody. Uh, COVID nineteen generation: a conceptual framework of the consumer behavioral shifts to be caused by the COVID nineteen pandemic. So, um, so thanks for taking the time to talk about the paper. And I, I have to say, I really found your approach interesting. Um, you know, as, as I read the introduction of the paper, it's like, oh, okay, well, this is a little different than I was expecting, um, but I really liked it. Now, maybe before getting into your findings, uh, you can set this up by describing what you wanted to accomplish and the approach you took to get there. Oh, sure, sure. And and the thing is, I will usually speak in, in uh, I, don't, I don't want to say layman's terms. I absolutely hate that term, yeah. uh, but, I, but I'll speak in, in application terms as in right. what can we do with this? Perfect. And uh, and it's obviously what we would teach at Western Michigan. It's more about um, how do you take the findings and then apply them in store or as a CPG. Uh, and, and those are the, obviously the two sides that we would always want to look at. And so I, uh, as, as a bit of a background, I have taught uh, marketing research for the last three years, um, consumer behavior, marketing principles, marketing strategy, you know, anything with marketing in it, I've taught. And I absolutely rail against just throwing people into cohorts because they were born at a certain time. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it's, it's nice to be able to call people boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z, um, because we can at least look at, you know, digital natives, those kind of things. You know, the, the Gen Z centennials have never had a life without their phones, those kind of things. Right. So, um, but I don't believe in the, the word, the term millennial, I think, is the one that has always griped me. You know, 15 years, you can't group a people people into 15 years and say they all act the same. Right. And so we, we like to go back and say, okay, what about major events? What, what major events, uh, and that has been proven uh, theoretically and uh, obviously in, in, in real life, uh, major events impact how people act going forward. And probably the, the most recent in everybody's mind would be 2008 uh, recession. Right. And 
the what came out of the 2008 recession uh, moved out into retail quite quickly, and and what we started to see uh, would have been uh, first, you know, top top of mind would have been value format. Yeah, you know, it, it you could almost mm-hmm. uh, instantly see the the spike of of Aldi, and then of course, you know, we've been watching Lidl uh, expand exponentially and so the the shift to a value orientation came from uh an event and so the 2008 recession had nothing to do with birth had everything to do with all of us experiencing an event at the same time right so so because we were so early into uh covid or coronavirus um it was more of a conceptual framework what do we think is going to change what do we think is going to happen going forward and then, of course, it should lead to a whole stream of more research. Uh, and in fact, there's a large, large survey that we're doing at Western Michigan uh, that we don't even have the results back yet because it, it's gone all over the world. Uh, it, it should be an excellent survey on consumer behavior. And, and of course, we'll be putting that out as well. So the framework is what do we think? What do we see? What has happened in the past? And what can we what can we glean from the past and move it forward so that uh, those who are our stakeholders, the food industry, can be on top of trend as opposed to following? And so that was really the the genesis of why do we want to do this? We want to be on trend. We want to help the food industry stakeholders, and so let's. So let's go at it. So that's how we started researching it. Yeah, I love that. Um, And it's something I just never thought about before, which is, you know, to define generations, you just kind of draw lines in uh, on calendars of, okay, well, this generation ends here and this one begins here. Now let's look and see if there are any behavioral differences. And, And your approach is let's look for the behavioral differences and then, you know, define maybe the generation. Um, you know, not that you're defining generations, but you're taking that approach or that, that thought process and you're saying, here's a, you know, a major global event that again, we're all experiencing. What's going to be the impact on, on behavior going forward? Um, you know, by basically everybody. So, so really cool. Um, all right. So your framework includes a list of expected changes, um, that are going to result from the pandemic. And, and I believe there were 12 change themes in total. Um, can, can you take us through them or, or at least those that are relevant to uh, or, or will you know, greatly influence shifts in shopping behavior? And, um, and if you don't mind, as you go through them, uh, maybe just highlight some of the implications for retailers and marketers. Sure. And, and if you'd like, I can, um, I can sort them a little differently. Uh, let's, let, let's do it that way because uh, it was – the the paper that is being referenced uh, was designed for overall consumer behavior, and but that that was mainly because I wanted to to put the um, I wanted to put my line in the water and see what everything you know everybody's going to be impacted in some way. Obviously, my my interest is in the food industry, and so. Uh, we can focus primarily on, on shopper behavior inside uh, marketing, but it's going to be more on consumables, uh, just that's just because that's where I, I like to operate. And so uh, I, I think the best way to look at this, especially if you are in the industry trying to figure out, OK, what do I do here, is uh, 
is to back up a little bit. And, and one of the things that we believe is going to happen is that if you look at some of the major events that cohorts have had to live through, um, one of the things that we found in our research was that the age at which you live through the event, uh, if you were in that formative age of about 18 to 23, that tended to impact your behavior more than if you had already formed all of your life's behaviors, if you want to call it that. So, so people who are over 40, uh, and strangely enough, you know, we've seen this bear out that, that, that they are more than likely the ones who are saying, I am never wearing a mask, you know, and, and the, the mask has for some reason become this major emotional topic. Hmm. Should you wear a mask in a store? And the people 18 to 23 who are living through it are saying, what's the big deal? I'll just wear a mask. Right. Uh, and, and, but you have other people who are saying, this has taken away my freedom. I have, you know, I live in America. I have, I have freedom. I don't want to wear a mask. And so it's really, it's been interesting to watch that because the, 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 the level, um, the age you're in, it's, it's going to impact you. So we, we do believe that the, what came out of the 1918 flu, the depression and the 2008 recession, those are the traits that are going to stick. So we believe there were an awful lot of traits that were accelerated. I, I would say, and, and this is, uh, you, you, you do have a background at, at Campbell's Soup. Um, I would say that we do have an underlying belief that if it did not show a value pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, it will not show a value either. And so if, if you are in an industry that was constantly trying to figure out why aren't people buying soup, um, and then all of a sudden your sales went through the roof because people are now buying shelf-stable items that store well, right. uh, if you want to be part of the future discussion, you still need to keep working on getting the salt and the, the sodium content out of your cans. Right. Uh, it, that doesn't go away. So, so people scrambled, bought anything they could. There was a high substitutability for the last two months. Anything in that commodity they bought, uh, and so brand loyalty went out the window, and it and the decision tree went up to, do you have anything in stock? And it's one of the reasons why you're seeing canned canned sardines, which you know people just like I I would never eat a canned sardine. Then it's empty. You know, right. and then you have canned herrings and canned anchovies and canned mackerel. And so that the canned seafood section is is crazy. We don't think people are gonna stick with that. I think they're gonna go back to it and the people who were trying it are gonna stick with it. The other ones are gonna say, you know, I did what I could, uh, but I'd rather have a fresh package of protein. So that's uh, there there are some themes that I think we need to put out there at the beginning over overreaching. Uh, Things like meal kits were not showing a value pre-pandemic. In fact, I hate to say it, the pandemic saved the meal kit industry. Um, but I don't think it's going to save it for long term. I don't, I don't think you can. You, there, people don't want to buy little tiny packages that have one serving size of turmeric and one serving size of pepper right. and, a, and a packaged two breasts of, of chicken showing up at their door. Yeah, that that just that's cumbersome. Meal kits will survive in grocery stores. They just will not survive as a separate meal kit company outside. 
so there's 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 an aspect there of value that will that was usurped by desperation that once desperation settles back out that value will move back up in in the uh, consideration set so the reason I, I mentioned 1918 depression and recession is because we kind of pulled out of those what what happened going forward. And I think a, a way to look at this would be three different buckets. Uh, so if, if one is the germ part. And so you have um, vaccinations, quarantines, uh, germ awareness, if you want to call it that. Okay. And I am, I've, I've been described by almost everybody who knows me as a germaphobe. I've always, I've always corrected them and said I'm germ averse. Um, <laughs> but I have, like, I, I have never eaten cut fruit because I don't know who is cleaning the knife and if they clean the outside of the cantaloupe. So I, I, I might be a little bit extreme mm-hmm. on my, my germ aversion. Um, but now I'm, I, 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 maybe I was a trendsetter because now I have more friends with me who are feeling the same way. Uh, salad bars to me, uh, have just been harbors of germs and I don't think salad bars and hot bars are coming back. I don't know how they can, you know, yeah. you, if you, if you are going to mandate social distance and constant cleaning, how can you pick up tongs and scoop your chicken wings into a plate and then put the tongs down or even hand it to the person next to you. You know, I, I just think that's going to be a very difficult thing for people to accept going forward. True. But it does launch an industry for hot chicken wing dispensers. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think there, there are a ton of things that can come out of this in a, in a positive way. Right. Uh, and, and so if you, if you look under what happened under the qualification of germs uh, one way aisles, uh, one way aisles. I, I, first of all, don't see anybody adhering to them. Uh, I, what, probably one of the last things we're going to talk about is I personally love to go in grocery stores and lately I haven't. So I think there's an aspect there that we are going to have to put fun back into grocery stores mm-hmm. somehow. Okay. Uh, that's probably the, going to be the biggest issue of retailers going forward is how do I get out of this dystopian feel or, or hunger games feels what a lot of customers are saying and get us back into why we used to come in grocery stores. Cause if we, if we're all bubbled down to the utilitarian of just supplying food to our homes, then we might as well all be the same company. And because that's not what makes Wegman special, right? You know, that's, that, those are, those are theatrical fun places at the shop and that's why people like them. Yeah. So, so one way aisles, I do not remember that being a mandate. Uh, so I've looked, I've read the mandates versus what people have just adopted as a group of retailers going forward. And I've actually seen stores where they're already taking that down. Uh, it, you can't you can't police it, and what happens is um, customers are self policing, and it becomes even worse. Uh, you have you have too many people pointing to other people, uh, and and pointing at the arrows. So, you know you don't need that. You really don't need that in the stores. Right. Um, and if and if people are not adhering to it, you're either going to go one direction or the other. You either need to start uh, have a person on every aisle 
which you can't afford. Uh, you know, for some, you know, the last two months, we've forgotten the fact that the largest expense of a, besides inventory of a retailer is labor. labor. Yep. And there are some reasons why a lot of the stuff had not happened before is because we couldn't afford to pay people to do it. So, so I think one way aisles, all that does is add a, a level of consternation to customers who are already a little bit angry, uh, for being told they had to stay home, uh, so I think that was going to go away. Hand sanitizer everywhere is a great that, that that's a great result of this, and and I believe that's gonna that's gonna be table stakes going forward. Is you will have to have hand sanitizer available everywhere. The constant cleaning. I have been in some stores where they are taking it to maybe a bit of an extreme, mm-hmm. um, where it's okay now that people are kind of staying out of stores, but if you get around. Thanksgiving or Christmas, I don't know how you can clean your entire belt and everything. I, I watched a cashier at Target the other day do it, and she probably took her 12 seconds, 12 to 15 seconds. That's a lot of time. It is a lot of time. Yeah, customer. absolutely. So I think there'll be constant cleaning, cleaning the shopping carts. You know, yay. You know, hallelujah. Finally. Uh, that we used to clean shopping carts once a year. Uh, and, and then we had people doing it. And, and so I think that one is going to, going to stick social distancing. That's a tough one. Uh, that, that is, that is a tough one because there are just, there's just as many people are saying, why do I have to wear a mask and social distance? If you're saying one works, then why doesn't the other? And, and so that one is going to be tough. I think, you know, as a, as a retail person, I've had a tough time accepting the plexiglass. I think it's going to have to stay for a while. Um, but we as a as an industry have spent years trying to make our connection to our customers closer. And then in two months, we w- put up these these walls around us. And so the plexiglass in front of the cashiers, I think it's got to stick around for a while, but at some point you're just basically distancing yourself from your customer. And one of the things that this is, a, you know, if you want, if people come out of podcasts and say, oh, I got to take that back, the industry that was closed down immediately, uh, restaurants, right? Have they have they've turned the corner, and and so they have figured out how to not fill up the restaurants, but still feed people. They have connected with data. They have figured out what people are looking for for dinner. And, and so in essence, we've reversed the, the industry that started the loyalty card, the retail industry, um, has now put up walls and rules and barriers and the whole works between them and their customers while the restaurants who were really just always kind of open, right? They were just open and they knew that people had shifts, you know, five to nine was always going to be busy. Um, now they know who their customers are and they know their customer preferences. They've been able to whittle their menus down uh, to be more uh, effective and efficient. Um, so they've actually increased their relationship with customers at the same time food retailers have have in a way decreased their their uh, relationships. So so to speed that up a little bit, 
face masks, I think, are going to be just whatever the state law says. Um, we've we've all seen where HEB just said we'll suggest them, but we're not going to enforce it. Um, if you're in a state that makes it mandatory, um, they're going to stick around. But I, I, that that is not a normal uh, thing that you see in the United States, and 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 I think we'll have to figure out where that one goes. Uh, quick response to testing. I believe that's going to stick. I think people will be testing, testing, testing for a long time. So that that's under vaccinations and quarantines. And the reason I'm doing it this way is because um, my paper was covering bringing production of medicine back to the U.S. I don't see how that that adhere. You know, I don't know why that would be applicable to uh, CPG companies right now. Um, and those kind of things. So I'm trying to find uh, I'm trying to find a way to make sure that this is um, applicable to the audience. Yeah, and and actually, so before you you know, so as you're kind of leaving the germ awareness bucket, um, yeah, you know, it was um, and you talked about the plexiglass. Uh, I I actually started my career in the military as a musician. I was a in, in the Marine Band, and so I I continue to follow military Which music, uh, trumpet. And nice. I, I continue to follow military music, and I think it was two days ago, I saw a picture of the U.S. Army band at West Point uh, rehearsing, and <laughs> this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. They had <laughs> plexiglass cubicles surrounding every single person. You know, they were, they were set up like you would expect a concert band to be set up, um, yeah. kind of that half-moon um, you know, formation um, with, with the plexiglass stations uh, barricading one from the other, which, you know, I guess makes sense, right? Because you've got people breathing in and out uh, very heavily. And, you know, it's, it's just a, a Petri dish for, for coronavirus spread. Um, yeah. and, and it's a practical and realistic solution. But, you know, that's, that's, you know, one way of handling it. The other, you know, you're talking about the restaurants, um, and, and kind of on the topic of your 21st book where the good that's coming out of this, yeah, there is some creative thought that actually, um, um, there was a restaurant, I, I wish I could remember what it was or where it was, but their way of separating people from one table to the next was every other table, they would put dressed mannequins. So you yes. felt like you were in a full restaurant, but you still had the protection of distance and, um, and, and, and it wasn't in kind of a, you know, sterile kind of a way. You didn't feel like you were standing in the, the you know, in a doctor's office as you were having a meal uh, with, yeah. with these plexiglass barriers between tables. Um, it just felt cozy and normal. Um, so, uh, so it's good to see that, um, you know, we, that there are um, positive ways of addressing some of these challenges um, and, 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 you know, eventually the mannequins will go away and they'll be replaced by human beings. And, and that'll be kind of a, a much more seamless transition, um, I, I think, than, uh, you know, than kind of installing and, and, and maybe keeping the, um, you know, these, these walls and barriers between, uh, you know, servers and people being served. Um, hope, I'm hoping that doesn't last, but, um, you know, I, I guess time will tell. Um, okay, so so germ awareness. What what would you then say was is your second bucket the vaccination and quarantines, uh, or was that I part of the first together one? Into germ awareness. Oh, got um, it. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. The, 
the the next bucket would be on the stock up mentality and and social safety nets. So I'm I'm kind of going on the three major events and, yeah. and putting together what did we see going forward. And so, um, so we saw a lot of stock up, and and we we have a ton of we have a lot of people who are going to have a tough time. Um, next spring reporting their earnings <laughs> because mm. because they're going to say well we're down 80 percent right. <laughs> so right. so as much you know and I, I think you know home depot used to have to pull hurricanes out of their numbers uh because you just you, you can't take one-time events and and lap them and and so next year as many people who's who've enjoyed this spring not enjoyed but who have benefited from the sales um, are going to have to show, you know, if anything, there'll be inflation probably built in from fuel, you know, fuel has to go back up. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're looking at, uh, okay. So if we have this aspect of clean everything up and we put that in one bucket, that's one way that a company needs to address things. The next one is what happened to our supply chain and, I thought we had the best supply chain in the world, and the the issue is you know, we ran out of everything very quickly. And so, we, we if if there is a suggestion for somebody listening, it's trying to understand the 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 confluence of the fact that we probably spent the last twenty years trying to have an efficient response in our inventory because of the value of inventory, and it's what we teach in every category management class. Um, I do have a category management textbook if anybody wants to to look at that as well. Um, and inside there, we're, we are always talking about effective inventory and, and how do we make sure that our SKUs are, are matching our format. And so a traditional format obviously has more SKUs uh, because that's the expectation of the customer. A value format like Aldi has a lot less SKUs, uh, maybe only satisfies 60% of the customer's but customers know that walking in, they, right. they, they know what to expect out of each of our formats. And so what happened to our supply chain? And we like to look at things as, um, are they expandable, consumable or not? And so as people, I was constantly being asked, what about bath tissue? Will we ever get back in, in, uh, in stock on bath tissue? And I'm like, guys, you, you've got to go back to your, your normal marketing uh, way of designating products, and it is not an expandable consumable. <laughs> and in fact, it's almost it's almost funny to say that you you do not use more bath tissue if you have bath tissue sitting around. And so, uh, all you're doing is buying years worth of bath tissue. So we knew that had to stop, and we knew our supply chain could pick up on that. And we might have to have something where we um, maybe dial up a little bit more days of supply into our system. Um, but it's not like wipes. And so so the reason wipes are still empty is they are expandable consumable mm -hmm. and, you know, consuming as in wiping things down. Right. Uh, so we know that we have a trend of people cleaning things more often. And so that little wipe container is is just you blow through it a lot quicker than you used to. And so wipes, I think, are going to take a while. So we have supply chain issues, but you need to understand where your product is. And then you go back to value pre versus value post pandemic and whether or not, you know, people thought that your food was healthy. And, and so we had a lot of people, you know, 
produce wasn't wiped out, you know, because you can't store produce. And, and so we have a lot of people who will go back to eating fresh foods from the produce department uh, and then we'll let their pantry supplies uh, go down. So we had a little bit of um, stimulus checks. We had paycheck protection program. Those are one-offs, um, but we do believe that government subsidies will go up for a while. If, if anything, it's just a factor of 40 million people filing for unemployment. Right. And so government subsidies, not to mention it as a positive, but an increase in government subsidies actually does tend to increase sales in retail stores, in food stores, um, because it's it's taking it, – we, we always like to just take the dollar and chop it up, and what are you spending it on? Yeah. And so it's taking a dollar that you would have spent in a restaurant that is now coming to you from the government that you can't spend in a restaurant, so you're spending it in the grocery store. So it does, does tend to move people back into food stores and away from restaurants. And so – I not that you want a large portion of your population on government subsidies, right? But food stores do tend to benefit from that. Well, one thing that we, you know, would follow—it um, wasn't in our big, you know, in our top ten of things to follow, certainly. But um, you know, there was these, and this is in your on to the theme of your second bucket of stock up yeah. mentality. You know, when um, people, you know, kind of depend on, uh, in particular, government checks. Um, there is that windfall effect on the first and fifteenth of the month when when the paycheck hits. Um, yes, when people are more likely to spend on indulgences, and um, and and then you know as the as the weeks or month progresses um, and their bank account you know begins to diminish, then they focus more on um, you know more more functional uh, you know yes. food purchases, right? And so if you've got you know, would you say four million more people now, depending on the, the government subsidies, uh, whether or not this is just going to naturally expand uh, because of that? Now, maybe they were getting you know paychecks every other week, and it was already happening. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not sure, but uh, it, it just the thought that came to my mind as you mentioned that whether that that could you know further you know add another percentage point to this effect. Oh, I, I think you you. So we will see. You know, it, it's kind of neat because we're we're. Um, when, when you look at what happens in, in external, uh, especially like government support and then what that does to our, our food and, and by food retailers, I'm also meaning the CPGs that supply them. And so we all benefit from, from this. And so government subsidy will actually tend to help. Um, and it's 40 million, 40 million people 40 million. have filed for unemployment in the last two months, um, and we have to remember that that the forty million it has, uh, it's a little bit of like a regressive tax it is has hit the um, service level, uh, service uh, workers more than professional. Right. And and so we we have a group that was probably already eating closer to paycheck than mm-hmm. um, than those who were able to stay home and continue getting paid. Right. Uh, and and work from home and so. Um, that group uh, may not have had a lot of loyalty to their company anyway. It, it was, you know, if, if you can work in McDonald's, you could probably work in Wendy's, those kind of things. And so um, that that one will be that one will be interesting. I, I, there, the other aspect of um, the fear of, well, we always say it in social media, you know, FOMO, the fear of missing out. 
the the social media fueled uh, I need to go get my bat tissue because someone else is getting it. Um, we think that that uh, is going to subside, but people are going to still bat shop. So that, so we have a little bit of a combination here going on with it's not as much fun to shop in a grocery store anymore. It's a lot of work. You have a lot of people staring at you, employees and other customers, about whether or not they they think you are doing everything you can. Are you wearing a mask? Are you, mm-hmm. you know, are you walking down the aisle properly? And so when you took the fun out of it, people are just batching. And so, in, in fact, online shopping by its nature is batch shopping. Uh, average order on online, um, one of my past retailers, our average order was $30. Our average order online was 160 And so by its nature, it's just easier to click. Uh, and, and it's also easier to say, well, if I'm going to have to give myself a two hour window to wait for these groceries, I'm going to order a lot. Right. And cause I don't want to do this very often cause online ordering, is actually not that much fun. Um, so we expect, um, we expect batch shopping to continue, which in essence is a little bit like the first and the 15th of the month that you'll have people coming in and buying larger packages uh, as long as those packages can store. Uh, so we would expect a lot of these smaller packages to uh, probably be de-skewed. And, and so we're seeing a lot of CPGs de-skewing. Um, that just, uh, we're, you know, in the United States, we have a ton of assortment. Um, now we're being told that I think we're going to lose a lot of our assortment. Mm. And we're just going to focus on, on base products uh, for a while. And that may not come back. You know, you, you mentioned in our, in our previous discussion about Costco, uh, it, Costco only carries what 3000, 3000 SKUs, um, because they make all the decisions for you. In fact, people like shopping there because, uh, we always say in category management, you know, every customer tells us that, um, assortment actually confuses them and that they, they tend to, they would rather us de-skew. Uh, and and make it easier for them. So we think there are going to be a lot less SKUs offered. Um, we may find uh, online ordering will level out. Um, we had just as many retailers with issues with um, appointments available. <laughs> that you know, people there were there were groups forming that were just reserve the appointment for pickup for online and then sell it to their neighbors. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was fascinating when you start talking to people. It was like, well, how did you adjust to this? It's like, well, every single slot is full. So we, we designate a person to go on it. They would figure out when the retailer would open up a day. Yeah. And they would be on there. It's kind of like registering for your Southwest um, seat. You know, you're just sitting there right at that moment to try to get your, your slot. And then they would sell it to each other. It was fantastic. Yeah, I've heard about that. Um, it is fascinating because I, you know, even before the long before the pandemic, I've heard. I mean, and, and you know, we do this ourselves, right? We've got friends who have a BJ's membership and we don't, you know, but we have a Costco membership and they don't, right? So, you know, we'll buy things for each other um, so we don't all have to have memberships to the same place. Yes, um, and so this is you know kind of an, a, a behavior that just you know makes a lot more sense now for 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 a different application. Absolutely. Yeah, so. Cool. Um, 
And and one of the things that we we have to keep in mind, there's a theme that's going on that is, um, well, people aren't driving, um, but also if they are driving, gas is cheap. Yeah. And uh, and and gas is a um, gas is a is is a non-sensitive item, right? You you have to go to work, and so uh, high prices of gas tend to impact other things of our lives, including restaurants and what we buy and our shift of value. But the the so that bucket of, of stock up mentality and social safety nets was is is more of a quicker bucket. This last one. Oh, before uh, and, and sorry, I want to just yeah. comment on the stock up mentality because this is. Um, I read a paper uh, a couple of days ago which talked about um, it was you know similar topic. It's like you know what differences can we expect in shopping behavior as a result of COVID nineteen, and yeah. um, and this said that uh, it was really interesting. It said and and it's directly related to the stock up mentality. Um, yeah. That shoppers will likely spend more time planning and less time shopping than before the pandemic for for all the reasons you talked about, right? It's just not a pleasurable experience. People don't want to spend time in in a potentially contaminated environment, um, you know, with with new rules they have to follow about aisle direction and, and other things you talked about. Um, and so they want to minimize the time spent in store, which means they have to plan more outside of the store. And so when they are in the store. Um, they feel, you know, time constraint, right? They just want to get out of there as soon as possible. And when yes. shoppers are in that mind state, um, now there's a greater tendency to rely more heavily on heuristics um, when they make their, their purchase decisions. Uh, heuristics like, you know, a, is it a brand name I recognize or not? Um, I don't have time to compare these things, um, so I'm just going to default to the thing that I know. Um, price promotions, you know, it's uh, if something is, um, you know, again, they're not going to compare all all things, but they see something a promotion, you know, probably a brand that they know, then they're likely to default to that. Um, you know, product images, label designs, all these things are um, are going to feed into you know the heuristics, decision making heuristics that are going to um, just be much more dependent upon by shoppers who are in these time constressed, uh, time constrained modes uh, while they're in store doing this you know stock up shopping. That was really interesting. I, I you know, and and if if to elaborate on that, we like to look at it uh, a, a little bit differently. That you you have a decision, you have a decision tree, you know, and and we've all talked about consumer decision trees, and and you know, is brand first, is price next, you yeah. know, where does it go? Right. And we we believe the the decision tree flipped at, for the last two months. What is in stock? Uh, I wear I wear a size fourteen shoe. I, my decision trees, I would go to a shoe store and say, what do you have in 14? So I never had an opportunity to say, I like that shoe. Right. Do you have it in 14? Because I knew they probably only had four pair of anything. And, and so I had a different way of looking at buying shoes than, than somebody who has, you know, a size eight or, or a regular size. And so we believe that if you have the money and for the most part, uh, middle income and high income have not been hurt that much by this pandemic. They, they've been able to just continue work at home. A lot of them have enjoyed it. And a lot of companies have said, we'll just keep working at home. So we, we have, we have that that's been happening. They might not have enjoyed their, their young kids being at home with them. Um, because uh, the, you know, school, school, especially K through 12 tends to serve as, as, a place for your kids to go as well. So 
you know, it, it teaches you, but it also moves them out of the house so you can actually get some work done. Um, and the reason I'm saying that is, uh, I buy a lot of health and wellness and organic food. Mm-hmm. And so if you were to offer me something, uh, cheaper or quicker that I could find, I still wouldn't buy it because I know what I'm looking for. Right. Uh, if you are in the category that lost their jobs and is now having to circle the wagons around all expenses, then more than likely you're going to be heading towards store brands. And you probably know what your store's store brand looks like. And so you're absolutely right. You will just go into the category, look for the great value or the PC or whatever it is, and you just go there and you just say, the store did it for me. Uh, In fact, you might even head towards what we call the opening price point part of the store brand, which is the cheap, cheap, cheap ones that the store won't even put their name on. It's usually a, a yellow label. It says something like better value or something. Um, those are the ones that they've just basically uh, stripped all the ingredients out and it just uh, efficacy. You know, it's barely efficacy. We, we, we like to say sometimes opening price point pet food might keep your pet alive if you, <laughs> if you supply some national brand pet food with it. Um, but it, it serves a purpose. It serves a purpose, especially in the 20th of the month, and the 25th of the month. You need something to just get you by. So I absolutely agree with that. I think you have to plan ahead. You, um, I think people are, better, are getting better at routing there, you know, as, as you would a truck. I think people are routing their store. They know exactly where to go, how long it's going to take them to get there. And even if you're not a big believer in the virus, you're, you, have a, you have a time you have a timer going on in your head and you're thinking, okay, I've been in here too long. I've been exposed to people too long. I've got to get out of here. I've got to rush through here. Yeah. So yes, yes. that's that I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Um, and, and the, you know, if you're a marketer, the implication is you, you better know the decision heuristics used by the shoppers of your category um, and just pound the heck out of those uh, to make sure they are, you know, visible um, over, and and you know easily seen and understood, um, because if that's if that's the way people are going to making decisions, you know less considered, more kind of intuitive based. Um, then then you know that's that's the new language spoken by shoppers in store. Absolutely, or yeah. and consider your touch points. You know your touch points are are pre shop. You know right. social media, yep. uh, advertising, those kind of. I, I, we we need to get moving past. You know, these unprecedented times, we're here with you. We've been here 100 years. We're here for you. We, we get that. That's right. been the message for the last eight weeks. You've got to move back to what your differentiators are. Because if, if everybody is here for you, then nobody is special. And, and you, you, need to, you need to keep talking about what makes you special as a brand. Yeah, that well is, said. Uh, that, so if, 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 for, for the last grouping, um, this really came out of the, the 2008 recession. It's the most recent thing that we, we would have in our minds. And, and in reality, it, it shifted a ton of our behavior. We, it shifted our, our behavior around uh, a, a couple of things. And, and one that is, that is suffering right now is the sharing economy. Uh, we, we went into a sharing economy with Airbnb. Mm. Um, in fact, I think most auto uh, manufacturers were racing towards not not just autonomous vehicles, but autonomous and shared vehicles, uh, because 
most people can quote the fact that your car sits there for 22 hours of the day. Uh, so why not have a shared vehicle? And that just came to, you know, it's a horrible thing to say. It came to a screeching halt. Um, in fact, it ran right into the wall. This, the, the Uber and Lyft are, are okay because you still need things like taxis. Um, but sharing vehicles, I mean, I think there was a dream there that we would all just kind of share these pods and we could call them up on our phones and they would come pick us up and take us to our next spot. And then it could go off and do its job. And, and that's, that, that's going to stop. The germ aspect is, 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 has trumped that if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, living within your means. So depending on where you are, if you have a family or if you're single or if you are in a professional or a profession, um, or if you're in a service profession, um, that living within your means or value seeking came out of 2008. Um, and I think we're right back in there value seeking. And if you want to tie store brands in with that, um, I think store brands are, are heading to a, a great trend. I, I, they, they are, they've been proven to be national brand equivalent. I understand if you're a CPG and you're a national brand, you don't like to hear that. Um, but, but customers are customers. You know, you, you can, you can understand what your brand does, but you also understand what customers do. And if 40 million people lost their jobs, they are shifting back down to value seeking. Um, so I think that's going to stick around a while. I will tell you, and this is another paper that I, I, I published and it was on having an everyday low price inside a traditional format. Um, we have seen that work numerous times and, and I'm, I'm surprised that more people haven't adopted that. So, and, and, and a great example, Wegmans does this. So if you go in and walk a Wegmans, they have all the theater, all of the fresh, all of the stuff that everybody loves about Wegmans. But if you look at their aisles, they still have an everyday low price on their store brands. Um, so to the degree that you can level yourself out to be an everyday low price that is trustable, uh, from your customers, that's, that's a pretty good application that you want to bring going forward. So don't lose your theater, but give people, give, give people a, a safe Harbor when they don't have enough money. Um, we, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the increased cooking at home and baking at home. I think that, um, that people have, so what came out of 2008 was an experience focus over a consumer focus. So rather than be happy because I bought something, I'm happy because I experienced something. And obviously social media you know, fueled that as well. Um, people have had to, out of necessity, cook at home. Um, that's the reason I separate cooking at home and baking at home. They, they've decided cooking at home is necessary and then a lot of people found out they liked it or if they, it isn't, it they didn't like it. It's the fact that they could do it. Uh, most people who don't cook, it's because they don't believe they can. Right. And, and so they realize that, Hey, this is kind of neat. This is like, this is like painting. You know, I can just put all these ingredients together and I'm playing with things. And I love the food network and I can put all this together. And, and so I think cooking at home will stay. But the reason a lot of people didn't cook at home is because they were too time uh, time sensitive, if you want to call it that. They were rushing off to soccer games and sure. things, and so th that 
that'll be a tie and a, a balance for most households. I think baking at home has been kind of neat. Uh, you know, it's been well known that, you know, flour has been out and yeast has been hard to find oh, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. But if you, if you watch the people who are, are, you know, creating their own live yeast and who are experimenting with sourdough, that is all about the experience. Hmm. You know, you're not, you're not doing that to feed your family a meal. You're doing that because it's actually kind of fun. Yeah. And, and baking has been a category that has been dying for 20 years. And so to see that resurge, I think that's kind of neat. So I, I would keep an eye on that as a retailer. And if I were a CPG, if I were in the baking category, I'd keep playing that up. And in fact, that would be my next marketing would be people baking. You know, get, please stop running the the Zoom commercials. There's, uh, people are tired of that. Everybody we talk to is like, I'm tired of watching an ad that shows a bunch of people on a screen having fun because they're all in quarantine. Yeah, it's funny. Um, my wife happens to be a very skilled and very confident cook. Um, she's of Italian upbringing and she has, you know, a very, very broad, um, you know, repertoire of, uh, recipes that, you know, are undocumented. She doesn't need them. They're all, you know, in her mind yeah. someplace. But she looked at me the other day, she goes, you know, when all of this is over, I want to go out to a really nice restaurant. <laughs> We've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, even, even those who do know and like to cook, it's like, give me a break already. You know, it's, uh, I, I, I'm great doing this, you know, five, six days a week. Um, but I need that seventh day just to, you know, decompress and, uh, and re-energize, you know, by going to a nice restaurant and let somebody do it for me. Um, but, but now I can't even get that. So, um, I just, I can't, when we just, it's funny. We just had this conversation the other night. I just can't imagine the people who don't have that skill or know-how or desire who now have no choice. Um, and, uh, and it's not like they have to fake it till you make it for a week. It's like, nope, yeah. no, no, you, you, this is, you're, you're in it for the long haul now. And, and you realize that even though restaurants quickly adopted the, uh, you know, takeout yeah. orders, you, you start to do the, the value calculation and you're like, wow, this is really expensive. And, and if you are not going to, uh, receive the experience benefit or the experience premium, if you want to call it that, of having someone take the plates away and wash them and you, you get to walk away yeah. and you have a ton of packaging that you just brought home, you're going to start making that, that uh, you're going to make the calculation and say this, well, I don't know if that food was that good. And then you'll start cooking. I agree with you. I, I, I think the fact that you just brought home three pounds of packaging and and the experience of a restaurant, you know, you pay a premium at a restaurant because someone washes the dishes and somebody uses their own oven and somebody constantly comes back and refills your drinks. And that's the experience you're paying for. And if you don't get a, that experience, then you go back to what am I doing? Maybe there's another way for me. You know, drive-ins are one that, you know, drive-ins have just, you know, dead, 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 alive. You know? <laughs> so you can stay in and socially distance and bring your own food. I mean, the drive-ins are pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, you know, they always have been. It's, it's, I'm, I'm thrilled that we'll, you know, a, a new, another generation will get to enjoy them. Hopefully. So, all oh. right. So your three buckets are very cool. And I, and I like the way they tie back the way you said they would to kind of the three historical great events that have 
really been seismic behavioral shifts. So, there was, you know, yes. germ awareness, which really kind of goes back to the 1918 um, uh, flu epidemic, the stock up mentality, which, you know, kind of goes back to the depression and the value seeking or living within your means, which goes back to the Great Recession of 2008. Did, did I capture that right? Yes, you did. Perfect. Okay. By the way, there, well. there's another um, example of the the germ awareness, which, you know, thank goodness the CDC came out and said, you know, you don't have to wipe your packages down anymore because turns out, you know, the, <laughs> yes. the virus doesn't really live on surfaces as long as we thought we did. Um, but during the period where I, you know, was under the impression it did live on surfaces, um, and even still, because, okay, it doesn't live on surfaces as long as they thought they did, but it still lives on surfaces for some time. And yes. what are the, what's the implication for in-store merchandising where you've got people, you know, handling packages and, and if they want to compare products or, or move one package out of the way while they reach for another, you know, you've got this kind of uh, cognitive dissonance, right? It's like, you know, I want to do this, but I, I shouldn't, um, you know, it just... Just like in January, I was doing some in-store um, observations, and uh, and I saw a woman. Uh, she was handling a package and and really inspecting it, and uh, and and after the observation, I intercepted her and conducted an interview. And I said, you know, just out of curiosity, like, what were you doing there? Um, and she said, well, I was making sure that like no other shopper had broken into the package. Because this is, you know, kind of, oh, geez. fortunately, yeah. well, remember last fall, like the, the big news story was um, people thought it was funny to go through grocery stores and spit in food. You know, oh, they'd open up packages true. and spit in it. And I mean, our, we're kind of on the, the end of that trend, thank goodness. But, you know, here was a woman now who was, you know, permanently, um, you know, concerned about, about people tampering with their products. Now this thing has been kicked up to a whole nother level where, you know, <laughs> we don't have to worry about people spitting in packages because they don't want to touch the packages to spit in them. Um, like, you know, any, have you thought about that? Like how, how will in-store merchandising have to adjust in order to accommodate people's fear of touching, you know, a, a contaminated package? Oh, I think it's definitely been a consideration. It comes up a lot with customers, and and you're and you're absolutely right. I I almost feel guilty if I put the package back now when I'm shopping, because I feel like somebody's watching me, wondering why I just put my germs all over it. So the way I would break it down is um, separate produce. You, you got to put produce off to the side because produce, by its nature, sells better when it looks like a farm stand. And uh, the farm stand itself is counterintuitive to germ prevention. And, and so, you know, first of all, we, we've been saying this now for 10 years. If you want to be safe from pesticides, buy organic. And now we're – so that, to me, that would be my first step. I would, I would expand my organic section. I would, mm -hmm. I would like to let people know that at least before it got to a picker – or a handler, I wasn't filling it with uh, pesticides, and and so uh, you know, go back to CBD. You know, hemp is a uh, is basically a vacuum cleaner of the dirt, and so that's why we always say go organic with any CBD. Yeah, and so or, organic tended to be your first step of of eating clean produce. Um, your next step was then bring it home and wash it, and and so that never went away. And, and so we, 
if you're worried about the virus now, you you probably should have been worried about a a picker who then handed it to somebody who put it in a box who then handed it to somebody else and put it, you know, I, I would hate to be a romaine supplier, you know, because poor romaine has been, you know, raked over the coals for, for germs and E. coli and things sure. like that. So, so, um, so one suggestion is, uh, maybe putting up signs that remind customers that all produce should be washed at home. Mm-hmm. Um, second, I have seen a, uh, and this kind of goes from produce and out is that, um, we're seeing a lot more packaging. And so, one of the things that you had said you wanted to ask is what did I find kind of fascinating in doing the research? And yeah. one of those has been as soon as uh, COVID-19 came along, the environment took a backseat. And, and I found that to be fascinating because the people who were saying that our world would be over in eight years or at least past the point of no return um, have – now advocated going back to plastic bags and are now wrapping the bread. If you, if you can remember as far back as December, um, you could pick up bread in the bakery and it had one wrapper on it and it was open on the top. And it was because, because we wanted the bread to be able to breathe. Uh, it might've gone in there hot and it needed to, to cool off. And so you don't, you don't really want to seal bread. Um, all the stores now have an inner wrapper. Um, I think that's a good change. I think that's absolutely. And, and so if you have anything that was heading towards loose, you need to head back towards packaging. You know, that, that's, that's, as, that's as simple as I can make it. I, the, the aspect of having all of these loose bins all over the store were really, really cool. And they had a, a co-op effect, kind of a natural grocer effect. And people don't want that anymore. People don't want to pick up the scoop. People don't want to pick up the package. Yep. And people don't want to know that someone else did that. And uh, so I think we're going to see a lot more packaging, which goes against everything that the people have been talking about for the last five years, which is eliminate packaging. And so I, I, reusable bags, I think, is one that um, I, I don't know when they're going to come back. I, I, I think everybody knew they were germ. They, they were basically germ attractors, and now we're admitting it by going back to plastic. Yeah, and, and that's a, a great example because, you know, my, my personal experience with that is just as my wife got me trained to use the, you know, the reusable bags, Yes. all of a sudden she tells me, don't bring the reusable bags or back to plastic. And, um, you know, I guess at least, you know, any concerns we may have about that are partially offset by the good news on the environment with, you know, all the reduced manufacturing and automobiles and, and air traffic um, yeah. and, and the positive effect on the environment um, and climate change. So uh, hopefully one continues to offset the other because you're right. I mean, always the immediate need trumps the long term need. And, um, you know, the immediate need called for plastic. So we're all in on yes. plastic. Yeah, that's a great example of, of what you found fascinating. Uh, this whole conversation is fascinating, and and I had several more questions, but um, I, I'll I'll let people you know read your books or follow you uh, and read your papers, um, and if they want to learn more or know more about you and what you're working on. And to that point, if people do want to be able to reach out to you and and you know buy a book or uh, see what papers you published, uh, or follow the progress on, uh, your CBD research. 
Uh, how, what's the best way for them to reach you or follow you? Oh, absolutely. So, um, uh, first of all, all my books are on Amazon. So okay. just the last name, Zawanka, uh, Z-W-A-N-K-A, not the chocolate factory. <laughs> I've heard that my entire life. The um, I am listed in Western Michigan. Uh, so Western Michigan, uh, yeah, in, in fact, feel free to send your kids to us. Uh, we'll take you. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, the I, I think the best food marketing program in, in the country uh, at Western Michigan University. So I, I'm, I'm listed in there. And I would, I would say that um, LinkedIn obviously is always an easy one, but uh, I put a lot of things out there on, on Twitter. Almost all of my handles are at Arzawanka. So it's just easier to follow it that way. Um, but that's, that's, Pretty much it. I, I Amazon has all of my books. Um, they do a nice job of, of getting them out all over the world, and so I, I can't replace that. Um, but I I'd also say um, you can use my email, which I don't know if you have it in your podcast or if you however you want know. to so communicate feel, that. Yeah, feel free to share. So it is. Uh, it, it's just my name, Russell R U S S E L L dot Zawanka Z W A N K at W-M-I-C-H for Western Michigan dot E-D-U. And I'll take any, any questions you have, any suggestions, any follow-ups. I'm that that's what we're here for. I'm, I'm, I'm neutral. As you said, I'm not yeah. sponsored by anybody. We, yeah. we're just trying to help the food industry. Well, well, thanks for, you know, giving that offer to people to, to reach out to you. Um, and, and I hope they do because, because clearly, uh, you know, you're a very unique experience. Um, and, and, you know, you're not shy about, uh, creating a point of view based on your experience and your research. Um, and, and appreciate you sharing it. This has been great. I really love this conversation. I've I had a lot of fun with it. Great topic. Um, and, uh, and, uh, I look forward to following your work going forward for sure. Uh, so thanks Russell. Thanks so much for taking the time and, uh, we'll look forward to following your progress. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks, Bill. Oh, my pleasure. All right, take care. Bye-bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I'd like to give a special thanks to Decision Breakers for making today's episode possible. We'll see you next time on Shoppernomics.